Hey, another podcast. Ooh, with an amazing intro. Yes, <laughs> yes, definitely yes. just played. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. We always play the music before we start recording, right? Yeah. Yes. No. So, so uh, what have you guys been up to uh, lately, Sean? What? What? Are, yeah, I'll talk a bit. Uh, I've been still trying to crank out one blog post a week. Uh, but still trying to work on my site. Uh, not very successful though. Uh, but I think that the biggest change for me has been, I've been pitching in a bit more on the open source maintenance side. So uh, helping Ben uh, McCann uh, bug bash some Svelte issues, just because I noticed the issue count is just growing monot monotonically over time. And I think we need some help in just triaging and, and keeping down the, the issues, right? And it's a good, it's a sign of a it's it's something that people evaluate when they when they evaluate open source projects, uh, and then also helping to work on the uh, Svelte Society website, which we're creating in Svelte Kit. Yeah, yeah, nice, Anthony. What have I been up to? I mean, it's just you know, it's just sort of the the endless English summer where everyone starts using the site and we're not ready. So it's just oh, sort of dealing with that. That really. sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, oh. everyone else wants a feature, and everybody new wants a different feature. So it's sort of a, a big game of catch up. You know, summer comes at the same time every year. Uh, it so it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're we're about three summers late because of because of COVID. So, uh, so you know, it's one of those things that uh, is it, we're in kind of shock mode still because sales have gone from like you know nothing for three years to hundreds, you know, thousands. <laughs> yeah. That's a good problem to have, though. I think. It is. It's a good problem to have. I definitely appreciate the problem. It's just. Uh, I wouldn't just say it's a surprise. It's just it's just hard work. <laughs> I yeah. just fancy a day off, you know, because it is shining. The sun's shining outside, and I'm not getting one. Yeah. Speaking of time off, I just went on vacation this week. Ooh, oh, it's been nice. You the do? weather is is very nice for for Stockholm. We've been having like 20, 25 degrees and sun all day, so I've been enjoying that. And uh, yeah, yeah, and we uh, we also have a guest with us today. Maybe. Yes. Oh, should I? <laughs> yeah, I go, feel like I need it. intro music. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so today, uh, today we have Nick Reese on. Um, I don't actually know a ton about his prior work, uh, but I came across him when he started putting out stuff on Elder.js. And Elder Guide uh, was the the site I was working on to that that necessitated a super large static site generator. Generator. And this is something that I personally have been working on for a while, just because uh, I noticed that Sapper has some bottlenecks. I noticed that my own attempts weren't really scaling very well. And so when, when Eldridge came along and it actually, you know, was designed from the ground up to work on this, plus it was the first framework to implement the islands partial hydration model that Jason Miller was, was very keen on focusing. I was very sold on, on this and, and built uh, my own site right now is, is in Elder.js. Uh, so elderguide.com is, is, uses data to help families make informed decisions around senior care. And it's very SEO optimized. And that's something that we, we'll probably have to get into just because we don't necessarily, as developers, know a ton about SEO because we're not that tied to the business side. But Nick is uh, identifies as both an entrepreneurial marketer and a developer. So we'll get uh, that holistic definition. Uh, Nick, is there any other parts of your background that you typically introduce yourself with? No, I, I think you did a great job on it. I mean, my, my background is basically I've, I've built several companies from you know nothing to, to an exit and have generally played the, that CEO role. Of it, but started out as front-end developer on all of them, and so that's kind of how I came into Svelte. And I have uh, taken and acquired different assets and basically SEO assets and turned them around. And I've done that uh, both in my my own personal portfolio and then for larger companies. And so, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of understand the business side of things, but I also have in the past three years, uh, I've only been like really seriously writing any JavaScript for about three years. Um, really focus on on building things uh, myself and kind of filling in my own gaps around like SQL and things that I didn't know. And so, yeah, I, I decided to, during the pandemic, uh, build something for uh, senior living facilities with a friend that's an attorney. We just saw a need in the space. And uh, we tried to build it in Sapper and several other frameworks. And it was just too slow at the time. And so a kind of necessity, uh, out of necessity grew Elder.js. Yeah. So nice. it's, it's been fun. Nice. So it's been my first open source anything. And it's been, a, it's been an adventure. Pretty successful, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I remember when you first uh, released Elder JSP, you, you were quite hesitant about actually releasing it as a framework, right? Yeah, well, what it, it was, pushed you over the over the well, edge, or really, you and Sean cheerleading me on to do it. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh that's good. <laughs> it's, it's it's your guys's fault. I I often uh, I have to joke that I I got in over my head um, because I you know like. I don't know. I, I don't really identify as a developer until somewhat recently. And like, I still don't know Git that well. And I still don't, I've never maintained an, an open source uh, project myself. I, everything I know I've taught myself. And so it's, uh, I, I think I was, I was excited for the learning curve. And that's the reason I got into it is because I like steep learning curves. And so it's, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work and, but I'm really proud of where, where it's, where it's gone essentially. So it's been, it's been fun. And I'm excited to keep developing it. I think in the past couple of weeks, I've like pushed out new plugins and I really just like the framework that I've built and kind of fallen in love with it again. And it's fun. So you've been developing JavaScript for three years. You've built a framework that's just like exceptional. And now you're tackling hydration. Okay. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Well, yeah, it's, uh, so, it's an interesting journey. My, my first project was a high frequency trading cryptocurrency bot. Like it was the first any JavaScript that I that I wrote, and it was moving like wow. millions of dollars a day on Binance, <laughs> and so oh, I kind wow. of jump in, <laughs> uh, kind of head first into things. We were doing trades <laughs> in like four milliseconds, so it was it was a lot of fun, and that's where I, I actually like cut my teeth on JavaScript, and so I learned like low latency stuff, and I don't know, I like steep learning curves. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Uh, yeah, yeah. So so people are uh, generally pretty surprised when they. Uh, when they go to the Elder.js <laughs> documentation site, Definitely. well, have you have you had any uh, any fun uh, like reactions to it? Yeah, there's there's been. I, I think that my favorite is that people start to realize that the documentation site that they're on is actually like it's kind of like a meta thing. Like you you realize that the site I'm on is this is this, was built by this tool that I'm reading about, and I like that a lot. Um, the main reason I did that was mainly as an SEO experiment. Um, from an SEO perspective, like what, what SEOs care about is, is inbound links. And something that I, I think most SEOs value is relevant inbound links. And obviously, uh, cutting edge JavaScript framework links are not <laughs> really relevant to senior living facilities. So yeah. this is kind of testing my own hypothesis that uh, inbound links are good, kind of generally, re regardless of how relevant they are, as long as you also have other relevant links. And so... Yeah, it's more of an SEO experiment uh, than anything, and the docs had to live someplace, so it, it made sense to to at least get some links to Elder Guide. Yeah, that's great. It's always fun to see, like on on Reddit, when people find the the documentation, they're like, "What? What, what is this?" <laughs> <laughs> well, it also used to feature the the logo a bit more, and the logo is very special. It's not the typical JavaScript framework logo. Uh, it's a picture of a, a guy. Can you tell us more about this the story behind this logo? 
Yeah, so my, my wife actually drew the logo. She It's it's modeled after, uh, I think it's Aristocrats, and her favorite kind of like pseudo-grandfather, um, like this ah. father figure that was grandfather figure that was in her life. Um, so she drew it after Senior Sanchez in her life. She's she's from Spain, and this this is essentially him, and so it's a tribute to him. Oh, that's pretty good. I like it. I like it. It does, it does stand, stand out. out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, okay. How, how about we describe, like, for people who are new to ElderJS, like, the, the, the core opinions that Elder has? Um, yeah, you know, so... I, I, we, uh, at this point, like, we know it's a competitor to, to Sapper. It's a static site generator. What... And I think it's built for... Like, I... With, I'll tell you. I'll tell you when I came across ElderJS, and it's and the tagline was "It's an SEO first framework." I'm like, "Isn't SEO the thing that you tack on after you've done everything else?" You know, what what's what makes a framework SEO first? Um, I think it's a good question because really you're you're right. SEO is what comes after building. But what what you find when you deal with different static site generators is that often when you want to do things uh, that are important SEO wise, you kind of have to do backflips because they go against common opinions, and so. I wanted to make sure that the framework was flexible enough to never really stand in your way if you wanted to do things SEO-wise and that would always have good defaults for you. Like particularly bad is Gatsby. Gatsby is just really bad at it. And I've, I've been burned with Gatsby and that was part of the, the, the genesis of uh, ElderJS is that I wanted to make sure all the opinions were kind of right from the beginning. And so- Can you describe like, doing what, things, what do you mean by burned? Gatsby, so this was 2017, 2018 timeframe. I had acquired a site for like $500,000 in, I can't really talk about the space, but we were going to turn it around. And in like 80 days, we, we rebuilt the site on Gatsby. It was on WordPress. The site was making roughly 200 grand a year um, when we acquired it. And it ended up, you know, like after the redesign and everything, it was up, you know, on, on par to make about a million dollars a year. And so it was, it was an all around success. And then as the build started going out, Gatsby kept on having different bugs. So like our permalinks all changed. Like all, all sorts of like things started being introduced that were completely outside of our control. And like build times are terrible, but really more importantly, like Gatsby kept on shooting us in the foot. And so we regretted it every step of the way. And I, I just never wanted to be tied to something like that where you know, things such as as important as like the canonical tags or your permalinks could suddenly have undefined in them. There should be warnings there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And like yeah, breadcrumbs, so- breadcrumbs, you have to do backflips in Gatsby to do. And it's, uh, it's really tough. I, I want to release a plugin uh, for ElderJS that makes breadcrumbs a lot easier. Sitemaps was, was difficult. Um, I just want all, all these things to kind of live in a framework to offer all of them as an optional feature. And so I, I recently also shipped a SEO check plugin for ElderJS, which basically has like 50 kind of opinionated SEO checks that it runs on your, your site that you can do after build to make sure that you're kind of following best practices. Um, yeah, I mean, the other, thing, the other thing I really enjoy about Elder is you also really focused on this um, partial hydration thing, which is that mo- by default, most of the site is just HTML and you choose which parts to hydrate into JavaScript. And I think that's something that Kev might have helped you with. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the history I, of this. I, I think I just nudged him in the in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, he, he came up with the, the initial idea um, for like how to implement it. Like this should be possible, right? And I initially when, before releasing ElderJS, everything was written in like essentially like a small hand-rolled version of lit HTML. And then you had a com- ability to hydrate Svelte components individually. And Kevin was like, hey, you know, maybe you can actually do all of it in Svelte. And 
that really led me down. Like, how do I, how would I do that? And it ended up uh, being pretty doable. I mean, there's some ugly regex that needs to happen, pre-processing, but it, it works out really well. So uh, today, Elder.js ships zero, zero JavaScript if, it, if the page doesn't need it. And if it does need it, it will currently, uh, the, the stable version of Elder.js will use uh, on like document on load in order to mount the components. Uh, well, it starts at intersection observer. So let me back up a little bit. Basically, the JavaScript from a component won't be executed until you, it scrolls into the view. While that works, I, in the next version of Elder.js, we're going to be using request idle callback, which is a new browser, not browser. It's supported by most browsers now, but it's a feature that you can request when, when the browser is not idle to do some processing. So it's, uh, it's pretty useful. And the, the goal is to basically, you know, your web vital scores, I want to make sure that Elder.js makes it easy to have hundreds on all that. A question, I guess, are more around regular SEO. At the point where you're creating a new site and you're sort of adding SEO, how long before you start to see results or benefits from that SEO? Because I've been doing SEO on various sites for a long time, and I feel like it's very hard for me to judge when I'm doing something right or wrong because something like a year to get a result, it's very hard for me to know what, you know, you can't expect and adapt very easily. That is 100% accurate. So on a new site, okay. unless you're like, Buying buying an existing domain. That's the reason why I like acquiring existing sites and turning them around is because they already have they're out of the sandbox, so to speak. Like I think Google puts you in this, uh, hey, go play in the sandbox on your own. I don't trust you for about a yeah. year, and then you start seeing results, and then you might see on average like four to ten percent compound annual weekly growth or no, compound weekly growth, not annual growth, if you're doing well, and that's that's a pretty good metric to track uh, is your compound growth because okay. like like if you're running a SaaS business, you can track track your trajectory. So it's, uh, I'm more interested in the trajectory of a site than the results immediately. And in general, I don't run that many SEO experience, experiments until the site has quite a bit of volume. And so when, when, when you do that, you should do it at the edge. But that's a whole other topic um, to kind of okay. get into. But yeah, in general, about a year is about right. Wow. That, okay. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, exactly. It's kind of hard to get into. It's good to be in it, yeah. but hard to get into it. <laughs> Do you, yeah, do you have to like keep up on up to date on like I don't know Google uh, algorithm changes and stuff like that? Because I, I feel like it's a bit of mumbo jumbo because they try to hide it from you, and then everyone everyone has like very strongly held beliefs on how Google works, and there's not much data behind it apart from anecdotes. Isn't this like <laughs> like how do you how do you make a living from this? <laughs> it's kind of by design, right? And I, if 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 luck wasn't involved, uh, like I, if I said luck wasn't involved, I'd be hundred percent be lying. But I've been doing, uh, like, SEO has paid the bills since I've had bills to pay. So pretty much since 2006, I've been doing SEO. So I've survived the great purge of 2012 and 2014, where, like, everyone that was doing SEO got blown out. And, that the, and then the bigger panda, companies kind of entered in. Yeah, the, yeah, panda, the panda and Penguin. Yep. Yeah. And in, in general, like, can I cuss on this? Yeah, yeah, go sure. for it. Okay, so in general, I think SEO is do cool shit and tell people about it. Like that's kind of my my <laughs> philosophy is do cool shit and tell people about it because, like in general, it's too. just it's just marketing, and yeah. I I think SEO uh, SEOs in general like to make things sound a lot more complicated because that's how they get their fees. Uh, but if you're if you're following, like yes, there's a lot of anecdotes and there's a lot of like crowd wisdom of the crowd, so to speak. Uh, but a lot of it works, and so it's it's kind of sticking with that. And so I, I think Google has a, a key problem of. You know, back when the web was early, links worked as a way of uh, essentially curation, right? 
So I own a, a little site. I was passionate hobbyist and I linked to things and I curated the web for them. Um, now Google has a problem that there's essentially no real signals of curation anymore. And until they solve the curation problem or someone solves the curation problem and builds another search engine, we're going to have like kind of this, this weird SEO world that we live in um, because Google can't really move away from links, but everyone kind of acts like, hey, I'm not going to link to you unless there's something in it for me because links are understood to be valuable now. Tricky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, it's, a, it's a fun world. So just to go back to, to what you do, then you, you take something that already has a presence. It's just not optimized, I guess. And then you optimize it. That's one way. Um, okay. Specifically, what, what my track record's been really good at is buying sites, turning them around, and then renegotiating the deals with all the partners. Ah, okay. That's what I, so before, before working on an elder guide, I, I built a company called Broadband Now, and we were the largest, uh, basically, lead generator for all the major ISPs in the United States. I think we generated like 2 million minutes of talk time a month to call centers, and like, wow on a bad month or maybe it's a good month in some months we were breaking 10,000 units a month which is just a crazy amount in the space and yeah it was it was a ton of fun um, but my business partner was kind of done and we had an opportunity to exit so we we took it um, and in between then is when I've acquired several different sites and turned them around and I find that you know if, if you have good relationships with your partners they're willing to do things that, that they'll do with you that they won't do with other people so sure makes sense it's kind of it's kind of bring the business side of it uh, as well, and like negotiation and all that other stuff. I'm a weird developer. Sorry, kind of weird back then. <laughs> no, it's, it's, no. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, think so. I think the more people, uh, the more developers learn about how their skills can be applied to make serious money. I think the the more people understand like what te- what parts of technology is important and what part is just us you know, uh, trying to, trying to nerd out. Yeah. Bike shed over <laughs> stuff that doesn't actually matter. Yeah. I mean, uh, one thing I learned, so one thing I learned about these, I, I pay vague attention to the, to, to this industry of like people who buy and like turn around sites. One thing that people worry about, by the way, for example, is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll build, I'll build a site and it's all links that I control and then I'll, I'll list it for sale and I'll sell it to you. Right. And then uh, those inbound links that I control, I'll just turn it away to, to the next site that I can flip to the next unsuspecting buyer. Uh, so uh, some amount of traffic is very hard to verify as, as to whether or not it's legit. It's a, it's a very uh, cloak and daggers industry, but I think if you have some serious skill, like you can turn a, like a $500,000 investment into you know, something that, that makes a million dollars a year. And that's, that's, uh, that's pretty decent. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that more than decent. <laughs> and the really interesting yeah. thing is when you get farther into the business side of things, there's all this private equity that's rolling up the SEO space oh, yeah. because they realize that Essentially, the landscape, there's only 10 results and it's a zero-sum game. And so as long as you can hire you know, a, a team to manage an asset for you, you can you basically buy these sites on a three to five to seven X multiple and they're going to you know, pay, uh, pay off dividends for quite some time. Um, because SEO is relatively stable if you're not doing things uh, too shady, like you're running your own PBNs, like you were uh, private blog networks. Sorry about that. Um, like you were talking about Sean. Um, yeah, sorry, lingo. And... It's, it's relatively stable. And so private equity is rather interesting because they'll like, you know, if you have a track record, they'll throw money at you to go do that again. And uh, I, I've essentially decided to stop being a bounty hunter and focus on things that uh, can actually make a difference in the world because that's the reason I built Broadband now. And money's good, but having an impact on the world and leaving it a better place matters more to me uh, at this phase of life. And yeah, essentially, I, I could retire, but I'm not the, I'm, I drive my wife crazy and I'm a restless person. Uh, I need to be <laughs> learning things like literally I dive into stuff that I have no clue how to handle uh, because 
I need problems to solve. Like my brain goes crazy if it doesn't have it. And so that's the reason that I like JavaScript is because there's kind of the whole community, there's like endless problems to solve. Yeah, um, I was going to say like, endless, you know, endless problems. <laughs> you found the right community for that, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and then when, when the problems run out, you just invent a new uh, framework and then there are... <laughs> More infinite problems. new problems yeah <laughs> well uh, it wasn't i want uh, to i want to ask about i mean since uh if we if you don't mind one more digression and we'll, we'll yeah. go back to tech i promise but <laughs> yeah. one more digression on like uh what have you learned about the elder care industry that people might not know so somewhere around 15 percent of people in nursing homes in the united states have pressure ulcers which is basically they're not being moved enough um so they're not getting adequate care and they're like sometimes sitting in their own feces and stuff like that and What's happening is there's a couple companies, and I will name them, um, Red Ventures and Caring.com, uh, that essentially own the marketplace. And I have a history with Red Ventures. We're, we're not the best of friends. They ended up uh, suing my last company under a trademark, or not trademark, patent infringement, which we were not infringing on. And essentially, they're the 1,000-pound gorilla in the lead generation space. And the FTC, um, the Federal Trade Commission in the United States, forced them to spin off um, Caring.com out of their portfolio when they acquired Bankrate. And so basically they're just this massive billion dollar company that kind of steps on everyone. Um, and so they control the lead generation prices for nursing homes. And essentially they have a fleet of people that are advisors um, in air quotes that will help your family make decisions on senior care facilities. Well, the problem is, is those advisors only recommend places they get paid for. I have a problem Surprise. with that. Like it's, the fact that there's like roughly a $4,000 payout to Red Ventures for placing someone into a facility when these facilities don't have enough money to care for their patients, that's problemsome for me. Like, I, I really don't yeah. like that. And so the reason why I entered the, the senior care space is because I wanted to turn that around. And today I don't see a very good revenue model that wouldn't be also uh, essentially preying on consumers again. So I'm going to kind of wait and hold and let, let the site build some SEO traffic until we get leverage so we can negotiate our own. Because otherwise, I would have to work with Red Ventures or Caring, and it's it just not what I'm interested in. Yeah, okay. so, so you, you've, got your, uh, you've got a new project then, right? Yeah. That you just, uh, just released, right? Well, yep, so Find Energy? So what's that? Findenergy.com. It was released yesterday. Um, came out of basically, so I guess roughly... In November, I posted in the Svelte community looking to hire someone. And I, I found someone, and he's uh, fantastic. He's an American uh, that, uh, that lives in Russia. And so he, I was like, I need someone that knows SQL, because I'm not that great at SQL, and someone that we're going to deal with a lot of data. And I have another partner in this as well. And I was like, you know, let's, let's see if we can launch something to kind of change the energy space. Because right now, there's essentially no no place where you can go find all the power companies in the United States and where their plants are or whether they're releasing toxic chemicals when they produce energy or how much they're polluting. So a good example is OUC in Orlando or Orlando Utility Commission. They spend an incredible amount of money advertising how green they are, but really it's like a very small segment of their overall energy pro profile. And so we're basically taking a huge amount of government data and making it transparent. Our revenue model is going to be in the solar space um, because I think the solar industry is about to boom in the next three to five years. And uh, I also think the electric vehicle space, um, there needs to be a thought leader there that's kind of helping you make decisions around which electric vehicles. And so we're kind of heading that direction. But the first thing we wanted to do was, you know, start with, let's crunch all this data and show what the actual energy impact is uh, and environmental impact of all these facilities. And what 
you as a consumer essentially are, are polluting by using your energy. Because at the end of the day, when you really break it down, energy, like having a light on in your office is essentially a fire burning a long ways away from your house. And it's as like in our modern society, it's very easy to be disconnected from that reality. So do, speaking of like government data and, and stuff like that, like, do, do you have any numbers? Like how, how much data are we talking about? Is it? So broadband now was also on government data. We were dealing with like a billion rows on elder guide. We're dealing with, I think 2.5 billion data points and on fine energy. I know we're over a billion data points. Um, so broadband now's rows were super large. So we're talking like, I mean, if I had to estimate it was probably like 20 billion data points. Um, so that was a much larger data set. Um, but the EIA data is purposely opaque and all the energy space data is very opaque on purpose. And it's very hard to essentially calculate and they make it just incredibly difficult to understand. And you call the government agencies and you're like, Hey, how, do, how did this, how did you arrive at this data point? Cause it doesn't make sense. Your math doesn't make sense. Explain it to us. And they can't explain it. And so it's, they've been helpful, but it's, uh, you know, the energy space is kind of, uh, like pur purposely opaque. Yeah. So, so, uh, what drives find energy is elder JS, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, elder JS. And actually the next version is kind of where I'm testing all the new ideas. So one of the things that on data heavy sites, like the ones that I build, essentially when you're hydrating, let me talk a little bit about hydration, how hydration works is we render something on the server and that gives us static HTML. So we push that mm -hmm. to the client and that's the HTML that shows up on the page. But in order to hydrate something, you also have to um, mount a component on that HTML that was pushed to the page. And you have to add all the props, all the properties that the, the component was rendered with. Well, when you're dealing with huge amounts of data, like, you know, if you go to the Texas page on Find Energy, there's just massive amount of power plants and a massive amount of providers. And it's just, you find all of your keys and, and values start repeating. And so what I did on, on uh, Elder Guide is I, I wrote up, essentially a small wrapper that would allow me to convert values to an array. And then I would use a, a reverse of that on the client and that works, but it was custom and it was, it's super fragile and it's hard to, hard to use. So instead something I'm really interested in, something I think framework should be looking at is something I'm calling prop compression, which essentially if, if the, since you're hydrating a huge JSON object often, or sometimes, uh, essentially you should have the, opp the opportunity to, if the keys are shown multiple times, replace that with a placeholder and then have a, your own custom ability to basically, uh, you build a own custom library on every single page that reverse unpacks that JSON. And so that's in the next version of uh, Elder.js that should be released in the next couple of weeks. And so um, on, on a tangible level, um, it, on the Texas page, if I'm remembering the, the stats right, it reduced it 60%, the JSON payload size. Um, and after Brotly, it was still 10% smaller. So even after browser compression. Which is pretty substantial yeah. and it's it only adds about um somewhere around 20 20 to 30 milliseconds depending on your your uh your browser and your connection and your hardware and all that stuff but since we're using request idle callback uh it's i think it's totally fine to to process that amount so i'm pretty proud of that spent a lot of time like you never get a problem that your like brain won't stop thinking about that that's yeah. been the problem that I've been thinking about for months. So it's, it's pretty cool to, to see that. And like, I'm dreaming about it, which is really weird. And I still see an optimization that's a little bit past that. 
uh, where it currently stands, but I'm not going to tackle it because I'm not a Java, JavaScript wizard yet. I'm like not willing to kind of go down that route. I've been kicking the idea back and forth with uh, Luke Ede, Luke Edwards, and uh, he has some ideas on how to improve it as well, but we'll see. It's good enough for now. It's, it, it's, it compresses pretty well, which is what matters. For reference, months, uh, this rate is basically like a sixth of your JavaScript career. So that's a long, a long time thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so generally, like, are there any other like problems that you see in, in this felt world that you'd like to, well, to, to get? We can solved? talk about the, we can talk about the plugins that he's built. Uh, I think those are significant improvements since yeah. uh, I first came across Elder and uh, maybe people have not been aware that there's now a plugin ecosystem around Elder. Yeah, so it's it's kind of fun to to plugins are are what keep me lit up about Elder.js to be honest because I came my my first all the first websites I built were built on WordPress but WordPress if you bring that up in a developer community everyone kind of cringes right but the, WordPress did a lot of things interestingly like uh, they had hooks and they had, you could plug into any part of the build process or even build your own hooks into like if you had a plugin you could offer your own hooks. Um, that was really unique and I found that really powerful. And what we found is when you had hooks, which is kind of Elder.js is built around the idea of hooks. Most of the pro important stuff that Elder.js does is on a hook and you can actually disable it and add your own, own hooks if you want. Uh, or you can essentially customize your entire output of your site just via hooks if you want, or the data pipeline, everything. So it's essentially what we found with WordPress because at the time we were managing you know, 50 sites that were all built on WordPress. And what we found is if we used a standard framework at the time, we were using Thesis Theme, uh, built my built by my my buddy uh, Chris Pearson, and what we had is all of our teams would put all the customizations in a hooks.php file, and that allowed us to like share a developer across different projects. So we put one developer on, you know, maybe they manage three projects, but if another developer was on vacation, they could jump over to the other developer's projects and know that all the weird stuff is going to happen in hooks.php. Well, the same philosophy kind of underpins Elder.js. Like all the complexity should be encapsulated in your hooks.js or your route files. Those are the only two places it should really live. And in building the hooks, I kind of stumbled across this idea of, hey, maybe I could have like plugins. And plugins get their own closure scope, which allow them to store their own data. And they, based on the settings that a plugin is given, they can customize how they perform as well. So basically we have plugins are first class citizens in Elder.js. There's only one hook that they can't use, but you can do full themes. You could do full, like just anything possible with Elder.js you could do in a plugin. So something I would really like to do if, as I have time is build like a full blog theme where, where literally you just drop in uh, Markdown and bam, you have an entire blog with pagination, RSS, sitemap, everything. Because I, I think if the, if the community understands that, you know, plugins and hooks, like I think that's, a, that's where the JavaScript ecosystem in my view should be moving is essentially like a, a front end agnostic uh, platform that has a lot of the features that made WordPress successful. Like it, it just seems strange to me that no one's standing there in that, that space. And I, I don't really have ambitions to build that myself, but I, I think that there's uh, really I think Elder.js is a good proof of concept of how to do it. There's a few things I would do differently, but I'm really proud of the plugin ecosystem. Just recently, I, I redid the, the images plugin. So if uh, Gatsby got a lot of credit for their, their like fade in images and the fanciness, essentially Elder.js does the same thing with responsive images. And now I just completely redid it. So 
man, I'm talking so fast. I need to take a breath. Sorry. <laughs> um, it, it, it essentially, I get fired up about this stuff if you guys haven't noticed. Um, but it, essentially, let's, <laughs> let's say you have an internal dashboard, like all of all the sites that I run. There's I only really publicly talk about Find Energy and Elder Guide, but I have several other sites that run on ElderJS. In all of them, we have a team where you can upload an image to a dashboard. Well, with the earlier version of the plugin, uh, of the images plugin for ElderJS, you couldn't like you couldn't use those images in the plugin. Now, if you have any any page that essentially needs to, to compress and resize images, like let's say essentially what the plugin does, let me back up a little bit. What the plugin does is it will compress your images into WebP, uh, JPEG, and PNG in however many sizes you want. And then it will allow you to embed it on the page. And then based on the browser resolution, it will show you the, the, the most optimized image for you. Um, you weren't able to use that if you hosted your images on, say, like S3 or something like that. So now the new plugin, if even if you even if you don't use ElderJS, you can use this library to compress all of your images and resize them, and even use it on any sort of framework. So I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about an SEO check plugin, which will check your output. I think I talked about it briefly. Uh, roughly 50 different opinionated SEO things. There's a sitemap plugin. There's a critical path CSS plugin that needs a little bit of a rework, but it's pretty good. There's, there's, there's a markdown? bunch. Yeah. There's a markdown plugin uh, that like, allows when, you to. When I when I joined when I joined when I used ElderJS, there wasn't a markdown plugin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we had to figure all this out. Uh, yeah. So now it's it's uh, the standard template uses the markdown plugin. So you just drop markdown files in, and you get uh, it'll display it for you, uh, which is pretty fantastic. And it includes uh, code highlighting and all that other stuff, fun stuff. Yeah, I'm, it's kind of fun to single-handedly build your own ecosystem, which is where I've been trying to prove. And then now people are starting to add their own plugins, and it's uh, it's really nice. Like there's a blog pagination plugin uh, that's built now, and there's there's a few other uh, plugins out there uh, that are just uh, fantastic. I think Kev, you've built one. And oh yeah, yeah, the the Google Fonts one. Yeah. So it's uh, it's been fun. It's it's fun to watch it grow, and I'm I'm enjoying uh, kind of being the steward of that. Nice. So the the hooks that you're talking about, they're uh, they're meant to like hook into different parts of the build build uh, pipeline. How, yeah. how would you describe that? Yeah. So I, I guess I did it. I'm not really like a JavaScript guy that much. Like I, I I kind of don't have any formal training as we've talked about. So I I like global state a lot, but there's a lot of problems with global state, right? So. If it's mutated at the wrong time, you got problems. So I came up with this idea of like, I call it the hook interface, which essentially passes you in a proxy of the of the props or whatever, of the global state, just a few elements of the global state on each hook where it should be mutated. If you try to mutate it on a, on a hook where it's not able to, it'll throw an error. So now we get the benefits of global state, um, but none of the real downsides. And so hooks allow you to plug into any stage of the, the build pipeline and kind of customize it. So whether you want to compress the HTML or you want to add uh, data that's used by many pages on, on one place, so you're not querying the database a bunch of times, or you want to, I don't know, like on Elder Guide, we have like our own little uh, custom API key that we add that does some security on it. If you want to add that to every page, you can do that. Or you want to add Google Analytics, it's just writing a single hook and it's added. So you basically have all the power and all the complexities in a single file by default. Um, it's pretty, it works out really well across uh, across our teams. We like them a lot. The thing that I think gets doesn't get the most credit, but I think is uh, pretty amazing is shortcodes. 
Short codes have basically been a game changer for our business, um, basically since, since they've been around in WordPress. And we use short codes super heavily because the problem is, is you have, like as you get to a certain size, you have a content team. You have someone that's writing content. And even in, in like the, the companies that I've, I've worked with, they have a content team that's disconnected from the development team. And then you have a marketing team. You have all these people that have, have requirements. And uh, short codes allow you to essentially give power to non-developers and to essentially future-proof your content. A good example of this is, uh, let's say you have a, a blog and you have some YouTube videos. If you add those YouTube videos using the embed code and, and Google or YouTube changes that down the road or whatnot, you have to go change your embed code on every single post. Instead, you should create a short code that just you pass in the YouTube ID and then you can control the embed code for the entire site. And that's, that's not uh, a new idea. WordPress definitely pioneered it. And I think there was something before it that, that, that did really well. What we find is it allows us to move a lot faster because we can have a much smaller content team. Hmm. That's interesting. And yeah, they're I, asynchronous I've... too. So sorry to interrupt. Basically, no, like, go for it. I feel like a asynchronous short codes are like a superpower. So essentially, for instance, like right now on, on Fine Energy, we have a very non-technical guy that's basically the, the, the business manager. And he's one of the co-founders, but he wants to be able to show like really complex graphs and all these different things that require API calls or database calls. We can give him a short code and, hey, I want to show this really complex table. He can do that in, in Markdown. We just give him the, the short code and, and we like encapsulate the complexity in, in a, uh, on the back end and he has all the power, but he's not going to shoot himself in the foot, which is pretty nice. I'd say that you're, you're responsible for changing my opinion on MDX versus short codes. Uh, and I even wrote a blog post about that, which I'm going to stick in the show notes. But yeah, it's it's a really and and it's future proof, which which is something that you didn't really talk about. Um, yeah. But once you've ported content around for long enough, you start to value these things. A hundred percent. Cool. Um, yeah. D did we want to talk broader felt? Or yeah. do we have time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We do. We do. Okay. Uh, so so, what made you? Uh, what made you pick Svelte? Because there are a lot of frameworks, right? Yeah, so I, so when Broadband Now was growing, right, I was like kind of a front-end developer. Like I knew some CSS, HTML, I could, my business partner would do all, all of the data and I would do the presentation layer until I could hire someone else that was better than me. After selling Broadband Now, I had some downtime and I was like playing with different frameworks and I, I didn't, I built something on Gatsby and I didn't like React. I just felt like it was bloated and slow and overly complex. And then I used Felt on like just something small to like play with. And I remember being on like the REPL or whatever and being like, whoa, this is like magic. And I like told everyone I knew about Svelte. <laughs> and then I kept on like waiting for like a static site generator to support Svelte that wasn't, uh, wasn't Sapper. Because in my mind, like the what's on the back end and what's on the front, front end of Sapper was really confusing to me and it didn't really make sense. And I was really... I don't know. I, I loved Svelte and I loved Sapper, but I was I could never wrap my head and it never really clicked for me. And so I was telling everyone about it. I was like, but there needs to be something here because this shit sorry, this shit's magical. <laughs> like this this is like superpowers. <laughs> like like I can now build stuff that would take me forever in jQuery. I wouldn't even know how to approach and react. And it's it's just such a, a better onboarding process, I think, for for teaching people. I, I think I think Svelte is magical. What what's been created by the community is just incredible. That's really nice to hear. Like, uh, I, I had the same reaction when I, when I first tried Svelte, like I, I was using react before that, but then like tried Svelte and I'm like, nope, not working with react anymore. 
my basically quit my job and uh, yeah, I went for Svelte. And now you're working at a, on a company that's betting on Svelte full time. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, exactly. it's interesting to see it grow. <laughs> I think this is how it starts. It's very hard to bet against the mainstream when uh, you know there's a clear dominant framework. But uh, I, I think it just felt solves a lot of the problems that, that web developers just have. And uh, sometimes you just need the more <laughs> opinionated approach. Yeah, I think but I did the cool. same thing. I did the same thing as Kev, really. Just uh, I had to start a company so I could use felt, you know, needs must and all that. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it's, if, hopefully it's better now. And, and if, you, if you look at the, like, the trajectory of like, like people going to the the Svelte subreddit and people listening to the podcast and going to the Svelte Society website. If you look at the numbers, it's all like pointing like up to the right, if that makes sense. It's really nice to see. I mean, it's it's still... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, if I can interject here. Here's what I've heard from like the the, the CTOs of mid-sized companies. The reason they like React is because essentially they view React developers as interchangeable. And like essentially that gives them business continuity, right? What, where I think Svelte really shines is it allows someone that knows CSS, HTML, and some JavaScript to do really amazing stuff. And so I, I think we're going to see adoption from the smaller companies first. And then as, unfortunately, I have to say this, as Svelte developers become more interchangeable, you know, you'll see larger companies start betting on it more. Because uh, right now, if you try to hire for, for a Svelte developer, like as I've tried, you get all different levels of skill. And uh, like the, the top end is there's there's definitely some uh, super talented users, but I think the average business is struggling to figure out how to get the top end developers, and the top end developers are trying to figure out how to be found as well. Yeah, I think the realization is eventually that you stop classifying developers by the framework because that's a too broad of a brush. There's there's really good React developers as well, and they're really bad ones. So. There's good and bad in all frameworks, and uh, it turns out that you probably need to cut it a different way. Uh, but I understand, like it's something that I'm dealing with at, at my company as well. So, so I, I've been thinking a bit about this, and like it feels like it would be easier to convert someone that's a good React developer into being a good Svelte developer than the other way around. Or, well, I mean, because of the quirks that you have in React, I guess. Is is that something that you guys also find true or not true? I don't have that, that large of a sample size uh, of right. React developers yeah. that I've worked with, unfortunately. But I, I would say that, well, if this is telling, both of the React developers I've worked extensively with now use Svelte exclusively. So, and they were both pretty good well, developers. So that's, uh, I think that's a good sign. Yeah, I have to say oh. the same sort of thing. I think the ones that I've the ones that I've worked with and respected as developers have basically um, either converted fully or, or sort of, you know, tried to start looking for, for something in Svelte, you know, and, and used it on their personal projects and things like that. There's um, the, the, the React developers I used to work with um, that I'm not sort of in close contact with probably still use React. I don't know. It's just kind of an easy route, isn't it? But um, I just, the, the code bases we were, we were working on, you know, and they were good developers, it just had that classic React thing of everything just being in one big bunch of JSX, and I just didn't like working on it at all. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say, but I would say that those who have spent time looking into it are definitely now using Svelte as much as they possibly can, you know, while still getting a wage, I guess. Something that's really blowing my mind is uh, Scott Talinsky re- rewriting his site. 
from Reactors Felt. Yes. Uh, after yeah. he just rewrote it last year. And and uh, I think this happens a lot when like people try it out and they're like, oh, okay, I'll just play with it, you know, just to see what's up, what's happening. And then and then you really get into it. <laughs> yeah. It's it's quite amazing. Like it's it's fun to see. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how because I'm 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 going to rip apart Bianca and build it into different modules because I want to move a lot of it to Kit. Um, I'm wondering if I should build a whole marketplace part in, in Elder Chest now. Now that I know more about it, now that I've had time to kind of talk about it, because uh, it just the, the pattern just fits what we're doing really. You know, it's very SEO heavy. It's very much static content once it's out there. So I might be in touch. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm I'm not trying to step on Svelkit's shoes at all, but like we found on certain sites that I can't talk about um, or that I don't talk about publicly uh, that, that we need server-side rendering. And so as of the last release, uh, that's like very possible and you have full control. Same stuff you could do in an ex any Express app or Polka app you can do in Elder.js now. And so it's got a very clear migration guide, like path, not a guide yet, but a very clear path if you need to, if you need server-side rendering and you want to move away from static site generation. Because what we found in, we, I haven't yet done this on any site is uh, what I would really like to do is uh, stay with server-side rendering and then put a Cloudflare worker in front of it that has super aggressive caching. Because essentially you have a static site generator on demand and you purge the cache and then you now have all fresh pages. But right now, regardless how fast Elder.js builds, there's tests to run, there's uploading S3 and all of our pipelines. And it'll, the fastest, our fastest pipeline is like 15 minutes for a build. And that's really, I, I like it much faster than that. Yes, yeah, oh, it seems reasonable, yeah. I mean, it's great that you're t thinking about this because that's probably one of the biggest debates going on in Jamstack right now. Like, how much should you pre-generate upfront versus how much should you just, you know, uh, defer until requested and then stick it behind the CDN? Because those those things exist, and <laughs> we should make use of them. And and I I think I think essentially that line of thinking makes incremental generation, essentially building only the pages that have changed, a moot point. And I think. Uh, developers find incremental generation or like building part of your site that has changed a very sexy problem. It's like super fun. It like ticks all the boxes. It's like, I got to track data Cache dependencies. I got to figure out how to do all this stuff. It's super hard problem. But at the end of the day, it's kind of, it's reinventing the wheel because you essentially get the same outcome if you put it behind a super aggressive like Cloudflare worker or something like that. Yeah. Cool. So uh, we've we've talked a bit about uh, the good parts of Svelte or why we like Svelte. Um, maybe maybe some something about the bad parts. What what are what are you missing in Svelte? The biggest thing I'm missing is uh, there's there's a, a ticket for better hydration, and it was merged briefly, and I was very happy about that. Like anything I could do to get that that merged, I was gonna I was gonna push, and then it got unmerged because there was a, a small breaking change. So I. Currently, the way hydration works is, let's say I, I give you all the HTML uh, for your page, and then I, I hydrate it, and we know it's been server rendered. It destroys the entire HTML structure and then rebuilds it from, from scratch. And what this causes, in, and this SEO is a lot of speculation, right? And what I found is that pages that have components above the fold, so they're being hydrated by Elder.js, they're, they're not ranking as well as ones that have components below the fold, which is just very strange. because. Um, hmm. For instance, on, on Elder Guide, certain pages have substantial amount of content that is hydrated above the fold, and other ones don't, even though they're the same, very similar content. So they should be ranking similarly. It'd be indexed similarly. So here's my theory. My theory is that uh, Google is very public that it has two different types of bots, one that renders JS and one that doesn't. 
And the one that doesn't, um, essentially it will go through the page and if it's a static page, it will uh, you know, evaluate the content on that. If it's substantially JavaScript he heavy, I think it gets kicked to the, the JavaScript bot and before you get any real credibility. But essentially it's, I believe it's estimated to be roughly two months on like a new site before the, the JavaScript bot comes around. So it's, and it's much less frequent. It has to do with your, your crawl budget. And so, yeah, I, I just think that we really need to solve this because, uh, it, because the, from Googlebot's view, the DOM is getting, or the HTML is getting completely destroyed and rebuilt. So they don't know what it is. And so if, if we could have it so that only when it's hydrated, it only changes what it needs to change. That really is the right way to go. And I understand Rich's point of view and the original design behind this, that, you know, maybe let's say I'm hydrating a clock, right? It's not going to have the same state in the, in the first, like the moment it was rendered on the server and the moment that it's rendered on the client, they're not going to be in sync. But for the vast majority of static sites, they are going to be in sync. And so I, I don't think we should be having basically this ineffective system to destroy the HTML, then rebuild it from scratch. It should just hydrate in place. Yeah, this this is all magic to me. So I'm... <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's I, my I think only there's complaint. Some, there's some issues with like form inputs as well that, that get reset. I've been going through some of the old Svelte issues, and these are some of the longest standing, standing issues in Svelte. So we probably have to deal with this at some point, but uh, I'm not sure what exactly got it reverted, but it's probably worth taking a look at again. It was when there was yeah. two text nodes together, I believe. Two text nodes together when they were touching, uh, sometimes it would cause spacing issues. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, remember that one. I read something about, about duplication, some, some oh. issue with duplication as well, but I, I could be thinking about another, another hmm. issue. Cool. Any other stuff you want to talk about before we move on to well, unpopular I, opinions? Maybe I just start with that because it kind of falls in the same category, but it has to do with one thing I don't love about Svelte or any framework right now. And I think the framework should move into this. So this, is, this would be my unpopular opinion. My unpopular opinion is that since uh, these frameworks allow for server-side rendering and then they also allow for hydration, there's essentially no reason really when you have a compiler for... A, a tool like Elder.js to exist. Essentially, when you hydrate something, uh, or when you render it on the server, you should get the hydration code right away. Like, why wouldn't that be generated? All you'd have to pass in is the relative path to a component. And you, you would have all of it, because essentially the, the compiler could know all, of, it knows all the props, it knows the component name, it, it could set a wrapping class on it that, that allows you to, uh, or a wrapping ID that allows you a target to hydrate on. It can generate all the code for you. I'm just surprised that no one is doing that. Um, none of the frameworks are doing it as far as I know. And it really seems like the next obvious step. You could do prop compression there uh, as well. You could do all this stuff. And I'm surprised that, especially since Svelte is a compiler uh, at its core, it doesn't offer that. And this was something I had kind of pushed and, and got a bit of uh, pushback from uh, some of the maintainers that that's really the, that, that's the framework world. But it seems like a strange separation to me. And I'm really bad at separation of, of uh, like the different layers of something. Like I, sometimes I struggle with that because I don't have like traditional training. But to me, as like somewhat of an outsider, because I kind of straddle the line between a JavaScript guy and not, uh, it, it seems like it should exist. Yeah, agreed. Um, it, it, now that you mentioned it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to breach the topic that we've been discussing offline a little bit. Astro has come out. Very similar. <laughs> uh, 
you're having some chats with Fred Shot. Uh, so, so for those who don't know, Astro.build is is this is the project site, and it's kind of like a framework agnostic way to. It's kind of like the the non-svelte part of Elder, <laughs> yep. and, and then and then you can layer in whatever framework you want, and it seems like they they have very similar goals. Uh, what is the status of the discussions uh, on? I haven't heard anything. How back. much duplicate work is is going on? <laughs> I haven't heard anything back from them, unfortunately. Um, since since the initial reach out, I have had a surprising amount of people ask me if I'm going to stop working on Elder JS um, because Astro exists, which is really strange to me. Like. Like two people have asked me, which is like, hmm, like, why would there be that? Like, and I I was telling uh, one of my team members that I'm like, you know, my goal is not to become like the de facto framework for everyone. Like I'm building this as for, because our businesses need it and we might as well open source it because you have to create documentation anyways. And so if you're creating documentation, you might as well offer it to the community and the community can help you improve it. And yeah, there's some burden there, but Listen, I, I run my own company. I, I, I can handle that burden. You know what I mean? I don't have anyone I have to report to. Like, I might as well do this because I'm interested in it. So no, I'm not stopping because Astro entered. I also think, like, I've had, had some time to really study how they're doing things. And I think, I think it's great for a small site. I think as soon as you go against their opinions, you're going to have trouble. And I, I've tried, like, they've done a great job minimizing the complexity. The complexity of doing what Elder.js does and, like, hydration. They offer the same same settings, everything. It's like fantastic. It's really impressive. But my concern is that as soon as you do something that they're not intending you to do, um, like like a business requirement will, will force you to do, um, you're going to have to figure out how to do it. Um, and Elder.js, even though it has a steeper learning curve, I think it tries to get out of your way. Like you can disable all of what Elder.js does if you want to and build your own. And so it's, yeah, I, I just think that it's not quite as pluggable, but I I think my main thread to, to Fred is that I think that we as a community should figure out some sort of hook interface or some sort of interface that allows a plugin ecosystem to thrive. And even if Elder.js has to be completely rewritten, I'm fine with that. But like a, a plugin ecosystem for Svelte or for all of these frameworks should exist because that, that that's what is needed to replace WordPress because more and more like even the company that acquired my last company is moving to- towards WordPress because all the all the content editors like that, and but they're using headless WordPress, and so if we can offer plugins that do essentially what WordPress has done in the past, we're going to have be so much better as a developer community. So I'd like to see that. Yeah, happen. it's weird. It, it's kind of the the backend equivalent of what's happening. Like web components are framework agnostic. I would like uh, a framework plugins and hooks to be framework agnostic because there's a lot of work that went into Gatsby's plugins, but they're gated to Gatsby. And now every time I change frameworks, I have to like bring re, re, reinvent the universe, right? And even even Svelte, regular Svelte developers cannot benefit from uh, the Svelte image plugin, uh, the Elder image plugin, right? Um, so there is a separate effort to work on Svelte image. And it's just all this duplication that uh, I'm sure is resulting in local, like it's good because you, know, you, you, could, you get to dictate your own rules, but it's bad globally because you don't get to benefit from people's shared expertise and all these all this stuff if you can plug me plug me in with uh, the guy that's working on the, the svelte image i'm happy like i've extracted I, I the other js code so that uh-huh. it could be 100 percent agnostic like you just give it images and it gives you back fully compressed stuff so yeah. i'd be happy to. i, I, I don't know who's working on. on i know i know it exists that's all but uh yeah yeah so so i th- i think the, the the problem here is partly uh an issue about like business Moats, right? The Gatsby well, that, plugin system is a mode for 
yeah yeah, yeah i guess yeah that makes sense but, but anyway well it's it's a dream yeah. and uh, but reality is very different but uh, we can at least yeah. try to talk as always <laughs> <laughs> maybe svelte maybe the svelte ecosystem can can show a positive example cool all right that's yeah. uh <laughs> i wanted to that's get a, get that in there just because i think uh I, i've been hearing some buzz about astro uh, but i definitely believe in the idea that you don't have to take over the world make things that are suitable for your for your own purposes and make yourself happy and share it and um that's it you know there's a there's a there's multiple winners in the world that can coexist yeah all right so uh sean you you uh you uh, also have an unpopular opinion this week <laughs> i i was trying to i was trying to come up with something just because like we're trying to keep the segment going uh of the podcast so uh, unpopular opinion is i think we should make a we should work on his felt id so this is something that rich harris uh started way back in like i think three years ago now in one of his uh what did he call it a spelled id um or he called it something else sapper id uh there Um, was a sapper id i think there's another notion now that's along the same lines but more generic Uh, might might be spelled kit id by this point (laughs) right exactly um i and and so the last time we podcasted um i started talking about this idea that we should edit our components next to the components not not having to jo- toggle between the browser and the and the editor but to bring the editor into the browser uh and be able to click on the component and edit a source code and have it live live refresh uh so that's ev- evolving into what i think the svelte id should look like um which is something that is maybe unpopular now but could be the future of how we make svelte um i, I don't know but it's it's at least interesting to me so i, I might i might start hacking on it um i did so i i think between the last time we we did the recording and now, uh, I did write a proof of concept, which I shared and, and got some interest. Yeah, that was cool. I like the I like the idea for sure. The the uh, the conclusion is I was trying to use the the new browser uh, file system API so you can edit files from the browser, but the problem is that it requires you to give very broad and vague permissions. Uh, and I actually tried to request more specific permissions to to access files so it could function just like a regular IDE, uh, and they said no because of the security concerns. Um, so I think trying to do it purely from the browser, it probably doesn't make sense. So you need to have some kind of Electron slash Deno slash QT setup uh, to make this. What what about what about that um, that thing that was released? Was it a couple of weeks ago that it, they they made some? What was it? It was on the it was the the next JS and the uh, what was what was it called? It was like a like a an IDE in the browser. They used Wasm and stuff. They basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I so uh, the, that's Stackblitz's uh, implementation yeah, of yeah. which uses WebAssembly. Uh, the problem is that you have these are all virtual files that are maintained on a remote server. So if you want to edit local files on your desktop, uh, it doesn't have access to that. Uh, so yeah, I think I still think a local file ID probably would would help. Uh, yep. But yeah, you know, this is one of the the debates that's going on in web development. Like, should you develop do all your development on a lo- on a remote machine so you never have environment issues again, or do you preserve? Or do you want to preserve that speed of response and total control by having it everything locally on your on your machine? I feel like I'm I'm on the local machine side, but I don't have a strong reason apart from that's how it's always been done, and. <laughs> Uh, if I'm on a plane, you know, that, that stupid analogy, like if I'm on a plane, I can still continue working and I'm like, that's bullshit. I'm, I'm always sleeping on a plane. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 But so, so we had Mike on from Gitpod. Yes. Right. And they, they're, 
their whole uh, business idea is basically moving people from the from the local environment to the cloud. So if you want to hear more about that, you can go listen to that episode. All right, picks. Um, I can go first. So this week I have picked WebAuthn. So that's a, a browser API um, that handles authentication on the web in a generic way. So, so you can basically log in using Touch ID on on your iPhone or or your Mac or uh, your fingerprint scanner on your Android phone or whatever. Um, and it's actually got pretty good browser support nowadays. You can do uh, you can basically implement a an authentication system using that. And it's more private for users. Um, yeah, you should check it out if you're, if you're interested in. What, what I, um, so I haven't read too far into this, but every single time that someone has introduced WebAuthn to me, uh, it's required handing out a token that you have to carry around with you. Is that true? Is that still the same so, way? So a, uh, a token as in like a virtual token. No, like a physical thing that you carry around oh. with you. Oh, like a YubiKey or something. YubiKey. Right. Uh, uh, no, not like, well, it kind of depends because like if, if, the, if the system that you're, you're on has some kind of biometric system, like the, like the iPhone can use the, your face ID, for example, or your uh, touch ID, and your Android phone can use the equivalent of whatever phone you have there. Um, or you can use a key, a key if if, the, yeah. if that's what you Some want. So, I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. it's, it's an interface yeah. to the hardware authentication mechanisms, right? So it's just all it's doing is putting these things in the browser, so you can log in via whatever method your your website wants you to, as long as you know. If if you've just got a browser, you can't use Face ID because browsers don't support that. But WebAuthn is a standard for giving your browser Face ID support and integrating with the, the hardware directly. So it will give you anything, anything like YubiKey or Face ID or Touch ID. It's really, it's really quite clever actually. But it's, you know, it's something that I guess it it closes that gap again from native applications and and browser-based applications because up until this was introduced, you couldn't use any of that nice stuff with with a web app. So it's good. I think it's really good. It d- it does work. They've got a nice demo on the site actually. You can just go and it's got some really undecipherable. Uh, configuration that you that it asks you about. I don't know why it does that, but I just ignored them all and went click Face ID and I could log in. So yeah, same here. <laughs> you yeah. put it you put it much more uh, eloquently than than I did. Well, I just <laughs> waffling really. I just I, I trying to think of what I thought when I saw it because I see these things and I kind of glaze over immediately because you know yeah. it's you know there's so many of them and it's all so fancy and I never had a chance to implement any of it. But but yeah, it's really impressive actually. Yeah. yeah I, I, so the thing is that up until recently the support hasn't been great for it, right? So that's probably where, where yeah. you, you, it's probably at the point where you can start implementing it without having to worry about, well, you always have to worry about old browsers, I guess, but. Uh, cool, all right, uh, my pick. Uh, I'm gonna pick web.dev uh, learn CSS today. So this is a initiative from the Chrome DevRel team, I think. Uh, but just the Chrome team in general on like, hey, you know, people always say they 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 want better resources to learn CSS. So this is the official like from Chrome. Uh, this is CSS according to us, and it's very simply written. Uh, it's twenty four chapters, and it's essentially an, an online book, <laughs> you know. Uh, but if you wanted 
I think what matters here, because there are tons of CSS books out there. I've read, I've read my fair share. Uh, there's MDN, uh, and it, they're all information laid out in different ways, but some of them go too detailed and some of them don't give enough context. And what really matters is the curation and the explanation uh, for people, right? It should not talk down to you too much, but also it should explain to you everything that you must know uh, to, be a, to, to be a good, like competent web dev for CSS. Uh, and, I, you know, it comes from Unar Kravitz and Adam Argyle and uh, Andy Bell. And these are some of just the most skilled CSS people in the business. Uh, so I'm making my way through some of these and I just find it really rewarding to, I mean, it comes from, from Chrome, like that's it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they, and they they have uh, they also have a podcast, right? Where they and the podcast is linked yeah. to, the, to each to each chapter. It's very hard to follow the podcast. Like, I tried oh, to listen for, to it, but like yeah. when you try to mouth mouth code CSS, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's hard. But I know I don't know. Some people might like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, whatever it is, they they use that that work to translate into this resource. Uh, so now you can read this resource. Yeah. All right. Um, Nick, what's your, what's your pick? Yeah. My pick is uh, PostgreSQL. Basically, if you have a PostgreSQL database, it'll spin up a full GraphQL endpoint for you. And our, I whipped together a small little plugin that will lock down what mutations and what's, what's visible based on a JavaScript web token. And man, we have this like very simple Svelte form builder uh, that allows us to like churn out like admin interfaces like super fast. Um, and it's all because uh, PostgreSQL is building you an entire CRUD backend for you uh, that's pretty easy to secure, um, like basically automatically. Like I love it. Uh, the idea of writing like if you have a really complex uh, stored procedure or function and uh, you can basically immediately turn that into a, an endpoint, or you can write your own GraphQL endpoint if you want, and it'll pick it up uh, on top of it. So we love it. Um, I can't imagine the way I build sites. Essentially, I, I've, I've said uh, Svelte plus PostgreSQL is like cheat codes. Like it's it's like it takes out all <laughs> the bad stuff out of building stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm like so happy with both of them. Nice. Yeah, I haven't I tried it yet. I've been more on the Hasura side of things, so uh, I, I just vaguely am aware of PostgreSQL as like uh, more independent Hasura because Hasura is kind of venture backed and and yeah. trying to build its, it's own basically like ecosystem as a that space. GraphQL gateway. What did you say? I think there was some lag. Uh, it's basically like felt in that space. Um, it's it's very community backed, and they've got some really cool ideas. The thing I don't like about Hasura is its AGPL which should one part of your, your code touch their backend, it's now all open source. So your attorney friends will basically <laughs> tell you to stay away from that. And considering one of my best friends is an attorney and a very good one, uh, he's like, don't touch that. <laughs> Find a different uh, a solution. <laughs> okay, and, and Postgre files MIT. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, Anthony? I don't have a pick. I don't have a pick this, 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 because I keep looking for things on my desk and it's really lame. So I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to dip out this time. Um, and I'll, I'll come that's up with fine. something that's not in my, you know, 180 eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, Great. cool. So, uh, I guess that's it. Thanks for coming on, Nick. Where can, where can people find you on, uh, online? Yeah. NicholasReese.com or Nick Reese on Twitter. Um, I don't tweet much. I'm on the, Place I'm most active is probably GitHub and the, the Svelte uh, Discord. So if you need something, you can ping me on there. I'm pretty good about re replying. Yeah, it's 
I like this whole oh, Discord right. a lot. There, there's a there's a new Elder JS channel on the Svelte Discord. Yep, there is. <laughs> we didn't even mention that. Oh that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty nice. All yeah, right, um, we need a we need a policy around that, but uh, I think it's general generally nice to have people like major Svelte projects in the Svelte Discord as well to recognize the contribution it's making to the system. Yep, agreed. I definitely felt right. honored from it. Thank you guys. <laughs> Sean, you helped make that awesome. happen. Thank you. Cool. All right. Well, uh, yeah. See you guys. Take care, time. guys. Bye. <laughs> Thanks a lot.